Hallelujah. Nicole was telling me this testimony this morning. It encouraged me so much. So tell, tell what happened. Okay, awesome. Well, yesterday, I'm a studio manager at a fitness studio. And yesterday, during one of our classes, one of our members dislocated her shoulder. And I didn't see it happen, but I saw her come out into the hallway, and her shoulder looked gnarly. If you've ever seen anybody who's dislocated her shoulder, her shoulder was literally coming out of her socket. And we called 911, and she was white as a ghost. She was shaking. She was crying. She was scared. And so I sat down next to her, and we're waiting for the ambulance to get there. And, you know, when you know the truth, my, the spirit inside of me was, like, bursting to come out. Because I'm like, how can I sit next to her and not pray for her? And so I just, I just said, hey, Holly. Her name's Holly. I said, are you a believer? She said, yeah. I go, can I pray for you? She said, yes. And so we're doing this uh, believer's authority in our small group right now. And so I just did what we're learning. And I took authority over her pain. I spoke to her pain. I commanded it to go. I rebuked the enemy. I told her and her pain that no weapon formed against her shall prosper. Um, I told her shoulder to get back to where it belongs. And when I released her, my hand from her shoulder, she went, ah! And when she came back up, I saw her shoulder go back into the socket. Come on. And it was so cool. It was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Well, about two seconds later, the ambulance comes, and the paramedics come in, and she said, I'm sorry to waste your time, but I'm totally fine, and I could drive home and everything. And so it was just really cool. And the great part about it is I was at work, and everyone got to see it, all of my uh, employees and a bunch of members. And so it was a really cool Really cool opportunity. It's so. awesome. Yeah, you could take that with you. Jesus is alive, and he still heals people. Hallelujah. I've been thinking we need to do another series about healing. I think we'll do it after, after this. So anyway, that was just really encouraging to me. Man, go after it. Somebody said, well, what happens if I pray for him and, and nothing happens? Well, what if you pray for him and something does happen? <laughs> Might have to think about it that way. Hallelujah. Might as well give it a shot. All right. Week off at church and my voice is already, I need to work out my voice or something. Should have yelled at my kids more this week. All right. <laughs> We're going to be in the book of Song of Solomon. We're studying this book. We're not going to do this verse by verse. We're going to do the highlights. Everybody say Highlights. Last week, I told you that Song of Solomon is about an allegory. It's, it's a story where the, the characters in the story represent something beyond themselves. Solomon represents Jesus. The Shulamite woman represents the bride of Christ or the church. And you, it's, it's legal for you as a believer, and I would encourage you to do this, to read this book as a conversation between you and Jesus. And if you do that, it gives you a language, first of all, to talk to, to Jesus and hear things that he says about you and to you, which is really powerful. And it will help you to mature. The, the story itself is about the bride's journey from immaturity to maturity. How many of you want to grow up in, in the Lord? I want to grow up in the Lord. And this book has helped me. As, and I go through it over and over again. I pray the book, and I find where I'm at in the book, and because there's different seasons in our lives, right, and, and this book helps us to know what to do in, in what season. 
as a teacher, I tend to teach things in a series, and I'll tell you three, three steps to do blank. I can get you about anywhere in about three steps or three points. But life usually isn't a series of points. It's not. It's got ups and downs. It's got twists and turns. It's more of a story. And that's why I like this book, because it's a story. It's a narrative journey, and it helps me to identify and connect with that part of life. If you need more background about the book, you can go back and listen to my message from two weeks ago. Today, we're just going to dive into the thing, and we're going to get through the first chapter. At least that's the plan. Song of Solomon 1.1 says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. In a book full of songs, this book, there's 150 psalms just in the book of Psalms, and then there's a whole bunch of psalms in other parts of the Bible. In a book full of songs, this one says it's the best. That's what it's saying. This is the best one. Well, that probably means we ought to read it and understand it. How many of you have been blessed by something in, in the book of Psalms? Yeah. Psalm 23, hallelujah. You ought to read it before you die. It's not just about funerals. <laughs> God's, God's with us. You know, he's leading us beside the still waters all the time, not just, not just when you pass on, all right? So the book of Psalms is amazing, but this is the best song. Verse 2, let him, Jesus, kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Because your love is better than wine. We talked about this two weeks ago and said that what this is, is a cry. It's a prayer that we pray. It's poetic language. Some people get hung up on the poetic language. Don't, don't get hung up on it. It's just the bride crying out to experience the love of God. How many of you would like to experience the love of God? This says the first step in your journey towards maturity is to pray this prayer. And no matter how many times you've prayed it, you can pray it more because God is love and God is infinite and there's always more love to experience. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. This is the New Testament equivalent of that prayer. Ephesians 3 and verse... I'm just going to read verse 19. Paul is praying and he says... I'm praying that you would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. How can you know something that's unknowable? In the Greek, that actually says that you might experience something which passes mere intellectual knowledge. If you go back to the kissing analogy, if you somehow could imagine growing up in a culture where they'd never heard about kissing, and you were trying to explain it to somebody... And you said, all right, look, what you're going to do is you're going to go over there. You're going to put your lips on that other person's lips. You're going to kind of move them around a little bit. There might be some exchange of saliva. There's going to be maybe some microbes that change, change. If you describe it, if you talk about what's really going on, mentally I can understand that, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know how much I want to engage in that <laughs> until you experience it. Yeah. Wow. There's lots of things in the kingdom that from the outside you might look at that and think, I'm not sure about that. Wow. Until you experience it. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, hallelujah, sign me up. 
I'll have what the guy on the floor is having, right? That's, <laughs> when I was in college, they had shirts about that, but they were talking about something not godly. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, go back to Song of Solomon. <laughs> so the, the whole idea is that we want to pray to experience the love of God. And it, it passes, the Bible says it's better than wine. Wine is a type of earthly pleasure. It's better to serve Jesus than it is to do anything else. I love serving Jesus. And experiencing his love is better than experiencing anything we can have down here. Often people will say, well, that's great, Pastor. I'm, I'm all in. I've even prayed that prayer, but I pray the prayer and nothing happens. What do I do about that? How do I experience the love of God? That deserves an entire series itself. But real quickly, some points. You can experience the love of God through His Word. John 6, 63 says that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words are life-giving. The Bible is life-giving. Some of the most powerful encounters I've had with the love of God have simply been through studying the Word. You'll dig into the Word, and you don't just, don't just read it and, you know, I mean, I have a Bible reading plan because I like to get through the Bible every year, but I mean, don't do, do more than that, and as you're, or when you're doing it, picture yourself in the book. Picture yourself being the woman caught in the midst of adultery that Jesus forgave, that the Father protected. That's what's going on there. The dad's protecting his daughter from the abuse of religion. Picture yourself being a leper that nobody had touched for years, and Jesus comes and lays his hands on you and makes you whole. Picture yourself being a tax collector who nobody liked and everybody hated, and Jesus throws his arm around you and says, hey, you and me are going to be good friends. You have to think about that stuff when you study it. Does that make sense? You can have encounters with the love of God through studying His Word. You can have encounters with the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. One of the primary things the Holy Spirit does is reveal to us and speak to us about the love of God. That's why we um, love the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and all these kinds of things. We want you to have encounters with the Holy Spirit. That's why we love um, Casey and what she does in worship and all the worship team people. Um, anyway, you can also experience the love of God through other people. How many of you know that? You ever had somebody do something for you or love on you and you experience the love of God? What you need to do is recognize that's God. Hello. Yeah. If, if, somebody, if you're in a, in a bad situation and somebody comes over and gives you a hug or gives you money or helps you or whatever and you, you feel better, you've got to recognize that's the Father loving you through that person. Even if they don't know Jesus, it's still the Father loving you through that person because the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. If they're loving you in a way that makes you feel good, it's, it's because God gave them that ability, even if they don't recognize and honor that it came from Him. That's a good word. Good preaching, Pastor. You can also see the love of God in the beauty of creation. We can, in the interest of time, I'm not going to go there. All right, let's read the next verse. We've made it through two verses. 
Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is like ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love you. I'm going to skip that. Draw me after you. Or so King James says, draw me and we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. This is talking about intimacy with God. So we pray, God, I want to experience your love. And then we say, there's, there's two things happening here. God is drawing us and we're running. Both are important. The Holy Spirit, the Bible said, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except the Spirit do what? Draw him. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit's drawing everybody. So Jesus is taking care of his part. But do you need to respond? You do. I mean, you, you, the Holy Spirit's drawing everybody, but not everybody's saying yes. So what do we want to do? We want to run after Jesus. Hallelujah. But now, this is the most important part. But the king has brought me into his chambers. This is talking about the bedroom. It's talking about the Holy of Holies. It's talking about intimacy with God. How do you get in there? Who brings you in there? Jesus. Do you get in there by running really hard? You don't. The king has to bring you in. I was talking to my son several weeks ago, and he was telling me he learned about the tabernacle of Moses in his church, or in his school. He goes to pre-K at a, at a denominational pre-kindergarten. And he was really excited about it. They were telling him all about the furniture, and he, he drew me a picture. He was really into it. He showed me all you know, the lampstand, and he was like, What's, and what else is there? And the, you know where they wash their hands? And anyway, so he's doing all this stuff, and he gets to the place where he talks about the veil. He says, there's this big veil, Daddy, and, and the, only the priest could go back behind the veil because that's where God was. Then he says this, and Dad, not everybody could go back there, but priest is like another word for pastor. And so not everybody could go back there, but you could go back there. And I was like... And my heart, I panicked a little bit, and not a little, I controlled myself. And, and I said, I said, I said, son, I want to tell you something really, really amazing. He's like, what? I said, you know how there was that big, thick, heavy curtain, and only, only the priest could go back there? He's like, yeah. I'm like, actually, only one guy could go back there, the high priest. And he could only do it once a year. He had to do everything right and get all the blood right and, and everything. And, and Josephus said they tied a rope around his waist in case he screwed something up and went in there and died. Yeah. They'd have to haul him out. I said, you know, son, that big, thick, heavy veil that, that, that separated God, and, and that, was, that was the curtain to his inner chamber? You know that thing, right? He's like, yeah. I said, the Bible says that the moment Jesus died, it ripped in half. From the, top, from the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. Why? Because it is the hand of God reaching down to connect with his kids. It's not from the bottom up. Because it's not your effort. It's not your righteousness reaching up into heaven. And I said, son, I love your teachers. I honor your teachers. But pastors and priests, it's not another word for priest. It's not. In the, in the, in the New Testament... Every believer is a priest, which actually they'd agree with because that was, 
because they're Protestant, and that was part of the whole division. But anyway, I said, what Daddy does, yeah, I go back there, but I come out, and I just say, hey, guys, the way is open. Anybody can go back there. Anybody can have relationship with God. Anybody can be intimate with God, and you can do it because the king brought you into there. The king did it. He tore heaven open. My prayer and my fasting doesn't rend the heavens. Jesus rent the heavens and he dropped the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Now I live under an open heaven. I am in continual fellowship with my Father. Unbroken. It's not because of my works and my goodness. Because I don't always do everything right. The king has brought me into his chambers. Turn over to John chapter 10. Jesus talked about this. How do you get in to the holy of holies? John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anybody enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find Pastor, who's the door? Right? He says this in another place, that that veil symbolized his flesh. And when his flesh was broken, the way into the Holy of Holies, the way into heaven. Now, I'm not, I'm, thank God we go to heaven when we die, all right? But he's talking about a present reality, that you can go in and have intimacy with God right now. And you've got to get this. He says, you've got to come through the door. How many of you remember when we talked about boundaries? Were you here if we talked about boundaries? Boundaries say, you can come in here, but there's a wall, and there's a door, and you got to come in through the door. And Jesus says, if you don't, you're a thief and a robber. And John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, we always use that verse to talk about the devil, and certainly he does want to steal, kill, and destroy. But in the context, you know what that's talking about? Religion. Why? Because religion, any religion, whether it's the Christian religion or some other religion, it's talking about trying to access, this is what New Age people do, this is, this is any kind of spiritism outside of Christianity, you try to climb into heaven, you try to climb into the spirit realm, into the Holy of Holies, a different way than Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? Now, what you've got, you got to understand is that if you... If you, go, if you go to God, God's not mad at you, but if you go to God and you're like, God, you please answer my prayer because I, I fasted for five days and I, I did such and such righteous activity and, and whatever, so please let me into your presence. When you do that, you're not going in by the door. Hello. You aren't. You're not, you're not going in by the door. You're not respecting the boundary. And if you do that, you're participating with the spirit of religion and you're, you're trying to be a thief and a robber. Now, God's not mad at you. All right, we've all done that. But the point is, it's the king that brings you in. There's only one way into the, into the Holy of Holies. It's, it's through Jesus. Now, you might say, well, pastor, aren't we supposed to pray and fast and read the Bible and give and what? Man, don't, don't go to Jesus and say, no, please don't do this. Don't, don't say, oh, I gave a really big offering today, Jesus. 
You know, sometimes people say nutty stuff like, send me $50 and your prayers will be answered. That's total craziness. All right? Your prayers don't get answered because you gave $50 or whatever. All right? Your prayers get answered because of Jesus. I lost my train of thought. I was going to make a really good point. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. So... That's why I write the notes. I don't pray and fast and do all these things to get into heaven, to get into fellowship with my Father. I pray and fast and read my Bible to open my mind to the reality that I am already there. Ephesians 2.6 says that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ. I'm not trying to get anything from God. I'm trying to believe that God's already given me everything in Jesus. That's why I pray and fast. Hallelujah. But the king brought me in there. That's worth celebrating. Next verse. Now, even though we're trying to go have intimacy with God and go in there, we have a problem. This is verse 6 or verse 5. I am dark but still lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, uh, gaze not upon me because I am dark and the sun has looked upon me. And it says, my brothers made me keepers of their vineyards. What she's talking about here is literally she's saying, I've been out in the sun working too hard and it gave me a sunburn. It's messed up my complexion. I'm ugly. Don't look at me. Anybody ever worked so hard for Jesus that you neglected to pay attention to Jesus. Like Martha. Right? Or you took your eyes off of Jesus and you forgot who you were for a moment, like James says, and you got into sin. You know, you can still sin after you're a Christian. Somebody done that. All right? So what happens in that situation is that shame and condemnation and, and religion will try to jump on you, and you might say to God, don't look at me. Anybody ever said that? I'm too ashamed. Don't, I'm going to go hide. That's what Adam and Eve did, right? How many want to mature in Christ? Okay, here's, here's what the bride does. She says, even though this is going on, I've got problems in my life, she says, she says I'm... I'm dark, but still lovely. What's that mean? It means this. You got, if you want to grow up in Jesus, you got to learn to say this. I have problems in my life. I don't have everything right. I don't have it all figured out. But thank God, God still loves me. I'm still beautiful and desirable by God. And God wants to have fellowship with me. Therefore, I can have boldness even when I do something dumb, even when I've been working so hard for Jesus that I forget to pay attention to Jesus, even when I sin, even when I do boneheaded stuff and mess things up and don't communicate right with people and whatever, I can still go boldly before the throne because my Father loves me and I'm still lovely. Everybody say this with me. I am beautiful beautiful and and desirable by God. Say it till it feels true. We can have confidence before him even in our weakness. So 
Anyway, all right, verse, let's, let's hustle up here. So she says that. Then verse 7, so sometimes in your life, if, if you want to grow up, you got to get over this thing where every time you do something dumb or, or every time you don't feel like you're living up to whatever standard you've created, you've got to get over this thing where you go put yourself on the shelf for a while and don't fellowship with God because you're embarrassed. How do you know that, Pastor? Because that was me. That, this, was, this was like my relationship with God. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm living holy. I'm living holy. Oh, I did something stupid. I got to go hide for a little bit. Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Okay. Oh, I did something stupid. And you go up and down and up and down and up and down. If you, if you run away from God, when you blow it, you're not going you're, you're to mature. You're not. So what you got to do is you got to say this next thing. Tell me, you who my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where do you make them to lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who is turned aside by the flocks of your companions? So she makes this statement. She gets revelation. She's like, even though everything's not perfect in my life, why should I be outside of, of spiritual intimacy looking in? Why should I be turned aside? Why shouldn't I fellowship with God? That's a great question. You ought to ask that. You ought to be dissatisfied. If you feel at a distance from God, you ought to feel dissatisfied by that. Because it's not right, because the blood of Jesus purchased connection for the two of you. Well, how do you, how do you find it? So this is a question that runs actually throughout the song, is how do I find Jesus? How many of you ever felt like Jesus was far away? How do I find Jesus? Well, at the end, she comes to the really mature solution. And when you get that revelation, it's tremendous. It changed my life. But right here, she doesn't have that revelation yet. And if you don't have it, then this is what you should do. So we're going to read, we're going to read it. If you don't know where Jesus is, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your goats beside the shepherd's tents. What's that mean? If you don't know where Jesus is, Find some Jesus-loving people that are in fellowship with Jesus, that, that look like they're in communion with the Father, and just do what they're doing. Just do what they're doing. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, do it anyway. If they're raising their hands up, raise your hand up. If they're reading the Bible, you read the Bible. If they're going to small group, you go to small group. If they're laughing and before the presence of God, you laugh. Well, I don't feel anything. Well, do it anyway. Yeah. Hallelujah. You'll start to feel something afterward. <laughs> it's called faith. Just do what, do what the Scripture says. The Bible says that we're to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's Hebrews 6, 12. So just find somebody, if you feel apart from God, I think coming to church helps. That's one of the reasons we fellowship, because there's a bunch of Jesus-loving people here. There's 